0: It's been said that every quilt tells a story, and it's so true. But I also believe every quilter has a story to tell. I wanted to hear about the people behind these wonderful quilts and thought you'd enjoy hearing about their lives also. Welcome to A Quilter's Life. Jill Westfoot is the owner of The Crafty Nomad. She loves to sew and quilt and generally make stuff. She has a passion for free motion quilting and loves to share her skills with other quilters to help them improve their patchwork and to learn the joy of free motion. Jo has been told that she's good at breaking things down into manageable pieces that are easier to learn. Because of this, her students make progress by taking things step-by-step. Jo, thanks so much for joining me on A Quilter's Life.
1: Thank you for having me.
0: Uh Let's start with where were you born and raised?
1: Okay, so I'm English, as you might realise with my accent. And I was born and raised in the south of England, mainly in the counties of Dorset and Hampshire, just on the edge of the New Forest. So very rural kind of an area and lived in villages, really, in my childhood. That's where I studied Local schools um, and colleges there before heading off to university, which was in the north of England. But I actually took a year out before going to university and I did some traveling and went to live in Japan and do some voluntary work in Japan for about three and a half months. And that was really interesting. And also I backpacked around Europe and then eventually after that went to university to study psychology. Wow. Backpacking around Europe, that sounds pretty exciting. Yeah, it was. It was good. Um, Back in those days, you could get a train ticket, which enabled you to travel on all of the trains in Europe whenever you wanted during the 30 days. So yeah, did quite a few countries. It was good fun. Neat. So you went with a group of friends? No, actually. Bizarrely, I went with my dad. Oh, how fun. Um, (laughs) As I said, I'd been in Japan um, for the year in between college and university. So in England, we call college is from when you're 16 to 18. And then university is normally from 18 onwards. But I had this year in between. And after the voluntary work, it finished a little bit earlier than expected. And so I'd come back to the UK and I still had some money left and still had time left and wanted to do something else. But all of my friends had gone to university already, so they had no money and no time (laughs) and so couldn't go. And my dad, who I hadn't lived with for a long time, was self-employed. And he said, you know what? I'll come. I'll take a month off. I'll go with you because I didn't want to go on my own. It wouldn't be so much fun. And I didn't feel safe on my own. And um, yeah, it was really fun. How cool. That is really Mm -hmm. neat
0: do you have a special childhood memory?
1: (laughs) I was thinking about this. Yeah. So I thought my earliest childhood memory was actually a good predictor of the future. (laughs) I think I was about three or four and my dad had been building an extra room on the back of the house. I don't know if it was a conservatory or whether it was a real proper brick kind of building, but it was going to be A playroom for my sister and I. And on the day it was finished, my mum was telling me to tidy my room. I'm an inherently messy person. And so I was very excited about this new room. So I spent a long time organizing in my room and excitedly went and got my mum and took her to my bedroom to show her how tidy it was. And she took me by the hand. (laughs) (laughs) and marched me down the hall to the new room that had just been built and said, yes, but what about all of this, (laughs) Joanne? And all I had done was move every single thing from my bedroom into the playroom and dumped it on the floor. (laughs) And yeah, I mean, anybody that knows me would verify the fact that I am a very messy person. So it's just not in my nature to be tidy. (laughs) At least you learned that at an early age. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) Self-acceptance.
0: Besides quilting, did you have another career?
1: Yes. After university, I worked in human resources, actually. And then after several years of doing that, my husband got the opportunity to work overseas. And it was around the time we were deciding to start a family. And so we decided we would do that and travel abroad. During that time, I also, while she was little, I worked as a teaching assistant in like local schools. Really just because, you know, it fitted in with family life easily. So yes, I didn't actually find my way to quilting industry until later in life. I had started off doing some sewing classes when we lived in a very rural part of Australia. There was a craft group there and they needed teachers and things. So I started actually teaching paper crafts, actually, and then started teaching sewing. And then when we returned back to the UK, although I did have a short stint working as a teaching assistant in a school, I then decided to pursue teaching um, sewing in the UK, kind of properly really from then. I was thinking about that. And I think that, you know, those skills that i had kind of learned in human resources all those years before had given me the ability to write in a methodical way, which obviously helps enormously with writing patterns and teaching as well. And standing up in front of a group of people, I had been used to doing that at work. So wasn't really daunted by that. So, yeah, it's kind of interesting how the skills are transferable. Mm -hmm. You're back in the UK,
0: in England, but you left and came back. Where did you go?
1: Yeah, so we started off in Singapore. So we did two assignments in Singapore. My daughter was born in Singapore. And that was really fun. In fact, I loved all the places we lived, actually. They were all different. But that was really fun. And then we always came back to the UK in between for about six months. Just the nature of the job my husband was doing. And then the third assignment, I think, was Italy. Just outside of Florence, which was very lovely. And then the last two assignments were australia very kind of rural outback we were a two-hour flight from the nearest town um 15 hour drive so yeah pretty remote wow anyway now we've been back in the uk for about 12 11 12 years and we live about an hour away from where we grew up um so we're not too far away we're still in hampshire Still in a little village, which we like, very quintessentially English with the village pub and the cricket green and the village pond, you know, that kind of thing. (laughs) And yeah, we're near towns, but we're still fairly rural here. So it's nice. It's nice to be in a small town.
0: And also with the internet, we can be connected to the world. So it's just amazing how we can connect and still have our small area.
1: Yeah, absolutely.
0: Are there other crafts that you do or you've done?
1: Yeah, I mean, a long time ago, back in Australia, I was doing the card making and paper crafts and things. I haven't done that for a long time, to be honest. I have done the odd bit of garment sewing in the past. I don't really enjoy it. So I normally do it out of necessity, really, rather than anything else. I think that's probably it, really. I mean, I do craft sewing, but yeah, it's mainly quilting. (laughs) And are there other hobbies that you do? Well, there's not much time for anything else, but (laughs) I do do a little bit of gardening just to keep the garden tidy. And in the warmer months, I attempt to grow vegetables with limited success. I do like to read when time allows, and I particularly like reading historical fiction books especially those set during World War II.
0: Interesting. (laughs) Because my next question is, do you think your hobbies show up in your quilting? And when you said, especially narrowing it down to World War II, I'm like, hmm. (laughs) (laughs)
1: You know, that part definitely doesn't show up in my quilting, (laughs) but lots of my patterns do feature flowers. So I guess that kind of is appropriate. And I'm actually working on a collaboration project this year which will actually feature gardening. (laughs) So last year I got together with a group of other British pattern designers. We're actually in a kind of like a business support group together and we decided it would be fun to work together as well. And it really was good fun. As we're all British, we decided to do a British themed sewer row project. And basically, we each designed a row of the quilt, which could be used to make a quilt or to um, use the table runner. And the only stipulation was that whatever theme we each went for, it had to be something British. And mine last year was afternoon tea. There was a royal row, London things. It was really good fun. And we put that together and made a quilt to celebrate the Queen's Jubilee, which was good fun. But this year, our theme is going to be an English country garden. So I am going to be designing blocks around a garden theme. <laughs> I saw that quote
0: on your website and that is really neat. I love the teapot on there.
1: Oh, thank you. Yeah, it's, it's a good one. I do like that one um, very much. And it was fun to see it exhibited at Festival of Quilts last year. Joe, can you tell me who introduced you to quilting? Yeah, sure. It was actually my lovely friend, Lorraine. Whilst we were living in Australia, she was actually my next door neighbor. And we used to chat over the fence line whilst hanging out the laundry and trying not to burn our feet on the very hot ground. (laughs) And it turned out we went to the same craft group whilst I was making cards and doing paper crafts, although she liked doing that too. But She also made quilts and was a quilter. I had actually taken my sewing machine with me, but until that point, I only used it on cards and craft projects and things. And she kept trying to get me to make a quilt. And I would look at her and I would say, no, Lorraine, it just takes too long to make a quilt. I just want to sort of start and finish a project within the same day you know I don't want to spend hours and hours making a quilt anyway obviously she kept trying I think one day I think she gave me a charm pack and I did actually piece together a cushion cover and then a little bit after that another friend of mine uh, Martina who was also expat living over there suggested that we join a quilt along that she had seen on the internet Um, to make a baby quilt and that was it we did it and after that I was hooked
0: (laughs) yeah it doesn't take much to get us hooked into it does it no whether it's a quilt that you made or another quilt you've seen
1: do you have a favorite quilt yes I thought you'd ask this and that is a difficult question And actually, when I was thinking about this, I was only thinking about mine, actually. I wasn't thinking about others. So I'll I'll tell you that, obviously, because that's what I've been thinking about. It's normally the last one I made. And I'm sure lots of people say that. And the reason that it's normally the last one I make is because for every quilt I make, I try and learn something new or improve something on each quilt going forward. But actually... If I had to pick just one, it wouldn't be the latest one. It would be the Glitter Ball quilt. When I was doing some tidying up the other day, which, as you know, doesn't come naturally to me, (laughs) I found the original sketch idea for the beginnings of that quilt. And I had wanted to design a kind of a sampler quilt for my Block of the Month projects. I run Block of the Month projects, I remember before I fully designed it, when I was looking at that scrap of paper, kind of figuring out how that would break down into a block of the month's program, it was kind of fun to see how that would work. And I'm a little bit unconventional with block of the month programs. This particular one was columns rather than blocks. And I like to teach skills and techniques um, in the block of the month's rather than perhaps just traditional blocks want people to really gain confidence in a technique. And that's kind of my aim um, for the teaching. So this particular quilt, as I said, was constructed of columns. And each column had a different skill involved. And it basically made a shape of a circle. So the center column was all about drunkard's path. You know, the next one was Going out was about improv curves. We had foundation paper piecing, traditional quarter square triangles, a little bit of improv in there as well. So that was really fun. And I think it's my favorite because, A, because of how it all came together with those skills, but also from a personal point of view, it was because my quilting had improved. And to see the quilting plan come together as well so well was really quite satisfying. You know, I'm really happy with how that's turned out and it was lovely to see to see that hanging at um shows as well, really. So yeah.
0: And that's a picture that you sent to me, so oh, we'll be able is. to see yes. So everyone can see that either on my website or they can go and see it on your website. Sure. Is there a tool that you love?
1: I think it has to be marking tools. I was thinking about this for a while and I find finding a good marking tool is like gold dust because some of them are rubbish. And there are two that I use. One is just the hero marker, which just creates that kind of crease in things rather than an actual mark. And the other one is a retractable chalk pencil. Because it's super fine in terms of the line that it draws, it's chalk, so it rubs off really easily, but it also stays there until I want it to go. I find some pens just disappear too quickly. So yeah, I think when it comes to kind of tools, that's probably going to be one of my favourites. Thank you.
0: I've been fighting with that myself and was just wondering how the chalk would work.
1: Yeah, it's really good. I love it because it's got an eraser on the end. <laughs> and. It just makes it really easy to you know, take away those lines you don't need. So it's really good. But yeah, this one, the brand is Ohin of France. I guess there are lots of brands. <laughs> <laughs> oh, thank you.
0: With all the steps of quilting, when I started, I thought quilting, it's one thing, right? But there's so many <laughs> steps. So do you like each step or do you like a particular step more?
1: Yeah, so for a long time, I would have said my favourite step was the free motion quilting part. I love free motion quilting. I find it really therapeutic. I can get lost in time when I'm quilting. And I really try to encourage people to do that um, because I think it's really good for your mental health. But I also really love the design process. I actually design an EQ8 And what I love about that, I mean, I use scraps of paper as well. (laughs) But when I translate it and digitize it and put it onto the computer, I love the fact that I can then color it in multiple different options really quickly and easily. Try out different fabrics and that kind of thing. And again, I could lose hours doing that, really, because it's really addictive. (laughs) So I love that. The part that I really hate is basting. I think most people do, but yeah, I i don't spray based for a silly and funny reason, really. I once tried glue basting with the spray and I had recently had my nails painted with gel paints and it just peeled straight off. Whatever is in the spray doesn't react well to the gel nail polish. And so it peeled straight off. And that was a very expensive mistake, obviously, because I had to get my nails redone. <laughs> so I've never used it since then for that reason. And so I pin based, which obviously is time consuming. And I thought you were going to say it was to
0: save your sewing machine.
1: <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> it's always about the nails.
0: <laughs> now for my fun question What was your worst quilting experience?
1: Okay, this is a bit of a long story. I'll try and abbreviate it a little bit. So about five years ago, maybe longer, I was taking a walk and I listened to podcasts whilst I walk. And I was listening to a podcast and there was a lady being interviewed on there and she was talking about quilts that she had made that were about kind of political topics, really. And until that point of listening to that podcast, I had never contemplated making a quilt about anything other than a pretty design. And so it got me thinking about maybe I could make a quilt, you know, about something more important than just a pretty design. And by the time I had gotten home after that walk, I had already designed in my head what the quilt was going to look like, what the topic was. And I sat down from my walk didn't even go get changed or anything I sat down and started designing the blocks straight away and the topic of the quilt was really about mental health and the name of it was breaking point let's chat and it was about that moment when you're starting to break really you know you're reaching that stress point and you you break and also about the healing process And how important it is to talk and, you know, to heal. Anyway, so I'm making the quilt. You know, I'd got all the blocks ready and I was starting to assemble this quilt. And the quilt has four blocks in a column and then a big expanse of negative space. And I was at the point of pressing out the bolt fold on this large piece of fabric that was going to be to the side. And I'd taken it to the ironing board and sprayed it with water from the iron. (laughs) And as I went to iron it, a massive brown stain appeared (laughs) on it. And I didn't have time to order new fabric. I don't pre-wash my fabrics, so hence why the fold was there. And so I thought, oh, what do I do? (laughs) I'll just run to the sink and I'll wash the stain out. And it mostly came out. It was okay. And the plan going forward was to add applique speech bubbles with words in it. So I thought, it's okay. If there's any bits left, I'll just cover that with an applique. So I carry on and I piece the quilt. And I get to the point of quilting and decide that actually the applique idea with speech bubbles isn't going to work it'll be too heavy compared to these nice delicate kind of blocks that were there and it just wasn't going to work so plan b came about and at that point i had already quilted in some lines and so plan b was to quilt some words using the alphabet stitch on my sewing machine onto there now if i had known before that I was going to do that, if that wasn't a spur of the moment decision, I'd have done that before quilting the lines in so that the ugliness would have been inside the quilt and not on the back. But I didn't have any choice. So I thought, okay, well, I'll just go ahead and just do that. So I start doing that on my sewing machine and it started bunching. It didn't like it, it was too thick, didn't want to do it. So, okay, I have to unpick that and put some stabilizer behind. Okay. So, water soluble stabilizer behind, quilt all of the words. Great. 70 hours, you know, in total later, finished the quilt and I just had to rinse off the water soluble stabilizer and bind the quilt. And the next day, I had to put it in the mail and send it to Festival of Quilts because I had entered it before making it, because that's how I roll. And I then went to make it damp to remove the water soluble stabiliser and right before my eyes the brown stain reappeared. (laughs) I'd been in that fabric um, beforehand and I was just horrified you know because I had spent all these hours making this quilt and it was due to be exhibited at the Festival of Quilts. We were going on holiday the next day there was no time to do anything and so I just remember being very upset and looking at my husband and just saying, well, I have to put that in the washing machine and see if it fixes it. So I sprayed it, stain remover, put it in the washing machine, took it out. There's red fabric in there. Some of the red fabric I thought I'd run. It didn't, thankfully. It was just the underneath showing through. I hung it up and it looked okay. The Most of the stains had come out. So I thought, oh, phew, you know, I got away with that one. And, as I'm there, you know, inspecting it and looking for any stains that could be there, and reading the words that I had just painstakingly stitched on, and they were all about healing and being in the depths of despair and everything. And there's this word despair. <laughs> and I thought, oh my God, I really am despairing right now of this thing, you know. And this is the time when I didn't even know about blocking quilts, so I didn't block a quilt, and I just bound it and I sent it off to Festival of Quilts as it was. And I remember going there to see that quilt, and all I could see was this quilt that just wasn't hanging straight. You know, it was skew with because it had been in the washer, and yeah, it looked awful. But what do you know? That's yeah, that's my worst quilting experience. It can be
0: stressful at times, especially when you have a deadline like that.
1: Yeah, the lesson should have been not to enter a quilt into a competition before you've actually made it. But no, I still haven't learned from that one. (laughs) Last year, I entered four quilts and I don't think any of them were made before I entered them.
0: (laughs) So, what do you think has drawn you to making quilts rather than spending your time on other crafts or hobbies?
1: Yeah, I think what's kept me here is. The fact that I find the whole process very good for my mental health, which obviously is relevant to what we were just talking about, but the free motion quilting, as I mentioned before, provides for a very soothing time. I just don't think that there are other kind of hobbies and things that I do that provides the same kind of a reaction in me. Mm Mm-hmm. And who are your quilts usually made for? Really, the sake of it and the process, I have to say. Most of them are for my business these days, but occasionally then I do make for a family member or a friend. Do you have a special project
0: going on right now?
1: (laughs) I've got five things going on right now. (laughs) So this week I have spent some time designing my next block of the month which will actually come out or start next May. And it's going to be a Christmas theme. And again, this has been on a scrap of paper for a long time. And on Monday, when I should have been doing something else, I sat at the computer and digitised it. And yeah, I think I went to bed at 1.30am that night because it was, I was spending far too much time looking at colours. So that was good fun. So I'm working on that. have parked it again, but I'll come back to that soon. I'm always working on content for Quilt Hive. And at the moment, I'm planning and recording material on improv patchwork. And today I've been working on a course that I am teaching in February, actually, all about thread. I collated a orofil thread box to kind of go along with the course, really because a lot of my customers were struggling with understanding thread weight and also how they could use different threads to create really nice texture in projects so I'm kind of building a course around that need and it's sold out so that's really encouraging because I was worried about that one because obviously I had to order all of the thread boxes I've obviously got to be designing that project I just spoke to you about for the British Sewer Row project so that's got to be high on my list of things to do. And I've just collated the fabric I'm going to use for a swap gift for my QuiltCon partner. (laughs) And because this year is the first time that I'm going and excited to obviously see a quilt hanging in the show because one of my quilts got in. So that was great. But also excited to meet lots of people and meet my swap partner to give her her little quilt. Have fun. Yeah, so lots, there's lots going on. (laughs) Share a quilting tip. I've got two. The first one is slow down. I think people get into a big rush to finish whatever part of the process they're at. And my tip is you'll always get better results if you slow yourself down and don't rush to the end. And the other one is kind of related to that about getting better results is to remember to refresh your needles and your blades (laughs) because we always forget to do that. And in forgetting to do that, we make life difficult for ourselves. So yeah, they're not expensive and it's worth changing those to make your life easier.
0: I think we're all guilty of that one. Definitely. Can you describe how you went from having quilting as a hobby and it became a business?
1: Yeah, sure. I touched on this before, but When we went to live in Australia, as I said, it was pretty remote and I had a almost three year old who was desperate to make friends. And in Australia, they don't start any formal education until five, five and a half. Whereas if we'd stayed in England, she'd have been at preschool already. So we were kind of thinking we need to find places to go for friends for her, for friends for me. And that's when I found this little craft group that met in a church local to us. And they had a crash, So she could go and spend time with other little people. And I could make friends. So it was great. And they wanted more teachers for teaching the adults different classes. So it was a good way to fund my hobby. Um, I started teaching the paper crafts and the card making and things. And then that kind of progressed into just some basic sewing classes and add more variety. And then, as I said, when I came back to the UK, I didn't want to go back into human resources. You know, after that short stint back in the school, decided I really didn't enjoy that either. And it was time to see whether or not I could make teaching sewing, you know, over here work. And so I started teaching sewing classes in a local fabric shop and whilst I was there teaching that, and that was things like, you know, bag making, cushions, how to teach beginners how to get some of the sewing machine, you know, and we obviously progressed up into different things. And it was whilst I was there that I started designing quilts and teaching some basic patchwork submitted to magazines so some designs to magazines and that took off and I think yeah I think it was about five or six years ago decided to take a break from teaching in the in the shop there and decided to focus on the pattern writing and so I spent about four years really focusing on pattern writing. I did a fair bit of magazine work. And then I suppose part of the pattern writing at that point, I also started recording kind of video tutorials to go along with those. I had like a club at the time, a pattern club, and that kind of worked well. And it was a way, I suppose, of cutting my teeth on how to record classes and things like that. And then when the pandemic came along, I just decided to take all my teaching online. And that, I think, really transformed what was a hobby business into a fully fledged kind of business. So, yeah, the pandemic did me a favor. Sadly. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah, my husband and I have been in the computer industry and have seen some of this. So, we think it sped up what was going to come anyway.
1: Yeah, I agree with you. And I think what has been made easier during this time is people's attitudes to it because they had to do it that way. They had to speak to their family, you know, through video, FaceTime or whatever. They got used to it and they weren't frightened of it. And so now that they have a choice, they can do both if they want to. Yeah, it just takes the fear away, I think. Mm hmm.
0: And we're not limited to our own country.
1: Well, absolutely. You know, that is the absolute benefit of it. Certainly from my perspective as a business owner, it opens up so many different avenues. Yeah, it's amazing.
0: Mm -hmm. Tell me the name of your business and how you decided to name it that.
1: Yeah, so The Crafty Nomad started off as a blog back when we were living in Australia and I was crafting the same friend, Lorraine introduced me to blogs I'd never heard of what a blog was before or a crafting blog and so yeah I started to document the things that I was making on a blog and I because I needed a name for the blog and I felt like a nomad because we'd lived abroad for 10 years and so it just yeah that's where it came from just put the two together
0: that's really neat because it does pull your background into that And with the Crafty Nomad, what type of courses do you offer?
1: A real variety, really. So I started off offering my block of the month programs online, initially via a Facebook group, actually. And that was even before the pandemic had started. And then it was only kind of after, I think after the first one, that I then progressed onto using a dedicated online platform for the courses. And I think I've touched on this a little bit earlier when we were talking about the glitter ball and block of the month. But I run the bomb as a teaching, well, the pattern and the teaching. So there's no fabric involved. I encourage people to obviously support their local fabric shops to buy the fabric. We talk a lot about fabric choice within the course. But yeah, I like to teach techniques whilst we're making the pattern, as I mentioned. I've run four so far that way, and the current one's all about curves. So that's its kind of focus. That's called Collider Bloom. But when somebody signs up to the block of the month, they can immediately go and see like a welcome section. And then each month, new video, PDF content becomes available, and they are emailed to let them know that that's available to view. And then we also have a live Q&A session on Zoom um, each month to address kind of any queries they might have um, or any show and tell, that kind of thing. And that's really lovely, actually, because then I get to see people that are making the quilt and we get to see progress and stuff. So that's really nice. They obviously get to see each other as well. There is a Facebook group as well that supports it where people can share pictures. So that's lovely. Yeah, so that's kind of one element of the business, the block of the month. And then the next type of course that I added was my free motion quilting course. And that's aimed at beginners. And the reason I kind of added that one next is because when I taught in person, it was the most popular course that I taught. But what's been really interesting, actually, is that When I used to run it as an in-person class, it was a one day, six hour kind of class at the end of which people were exhausted because it's so intensive, so much to take in. They were just exhausted, you know, they'd go home and they wouldn't try it again for ages and then they'd wonder why they couldn't do it again, you know, when they tried. So when I decided to run it as an online course, I did try it as a live session And it was okay, but I just felt that there could be a lot more value if I offered it over a period of time. And so the way that I run that now is over four weeks. And so we have weekly live Zoom sessions at the end of each week. Each week has different content that comes out. So they learn a little bit each week. There's time during the week for them to practice each week. So I'm kind of encouraging them to practice little and often throughout the four weeks so that they can really get those habits formed and that muscle memory formed. So they can see that progress over a period of time, but still have access to the teacher. And that's been really good, actually, to see that the success that's come out of that for them has been really inspiring. So that is run that way. I'm actually running that thread course in a similar way, because I really want people to have Access to me to ask questions and things, as well as the pre recorded content, which is obviously there for them to watch over and over again. And so it just seems to work really well. There are also some on demand courses that I have on there, and they tend to be kind of specific masterclasses on a topic. So I think I've got one on foundation paper piecing, one on War Edge Applique, last year's block of the month, that glitter ball block of the month I've turned that into an on-demand program because it was so popular last year when it was a live program that I've just added that in so that's good and then of course I have the monthly membership which is called Quilt Hive.
0: Others probably know this but I'm just clarifying in my own mind when you say free motion quilting is that on a domestic machine or a long arm?
1: Yeah, no, great question. Um, Yeah, it's on domestic. So I teach on domestic machine. Um, I don't have a long arm quilting machine. It's a very different skill. And I think it's really important that people realise that they can actually do that skill on an entry level sewing machine. You don't need any fancy equipment can be done on a very basic sewing machine. I do quilt on a large domestic machine, a Benina 770 was a quite a large throat space. But when that one goes into the shop to have it serviced, the machine that I would choose to use is the most basic machine that you can buy. It's a little mechanical one, you know, no fancy stitches or anything. it's probably costs about 100 pounds. You know, it's a very cheap model, and that quilts just as beautifully. So you don't need anything fancy.
0: <laughs> Thank you. Can you tell me how you felt when you first started putting your courses out there, maybe even back to when you were teaching at the Mm. local quilt shop? What was that like?
1: Yeah, a mix of apprehension and excitement, I suppose, right at the very beginning, because it's always nerve-wracking to hope that you can connect with your students and that they can learn effectively from you. I remember one time back when I was teaching at the shop, a lady booked on five classes with me before she'd even met me. And I remember thinking, oh, what if she doesn't like me? <laughs> what if she doesn't like the way I teach? You know, She's already paid all this money to do these classes. And I remember being really worried about it. Anyway, she turns out to be one of my best customers to this day. <laughs> you know, she, I think she's bought virtually every pattern and done every class, You know, which is a fantastic kind of um, testament to that but yes always it's exciting to be able to help people enjoy their hobby more really I think that's my goal um through setting up the teaching business is to just help people have more success with their quilting journey.
0: And a similar question of how exciting was it when you had a pattern out
1: there and someone bought it? Oh, yeah, really exciting to do that. So it's a lot of work to put a pattern together. So you want it to be successful. And I think actually what's more exciting than perhaps the first pattern that I put out there for sale is probably more exciting to see a pattern in print in the magazine. I think that was lovely to see that. Yeah, that had, I think, more of an impact. (laughs) Now,
0: the first one that you had in a magazine, did they picture a quilt you made or did somebody else make that pattern?
1: Oh, no, I've already always made them. Yeah, it's always me that made it. I think the first item was a table runner. And then the second item was a quilt with a Polaroid block. Hmm. And what was it like
0: when you saw a quilt that someone else made? but it was your pattern.
1: Yeah, that's always fun. And um, what I really love is seeing all the different color combinations of what people choose and how they put things together. Um, the other thing that I love, and I think some pattern designers don't love, but I love the fact when people vary it. So um have a pattern called the Tumbling Spools Pattern. Which has six kind of spools that kind of tumble down. And then there are words next to each spool that say cut, stitch, based, quilt, bind, repeat. <laughs> Just looking at it on my wall. And it's got traditional type of spools on there. Somebody made that and they changed it. They designed their own, which I didn't mind, but they designed Orophil spool and did it with Orophil spool. And that was really fun to see that. And I think we actually made those blocks. I had a group quilt that I coordinated with those blocks. And I had given people just an instruction of what colour to use because we obviously wanted it to fit together really well. So we wanted it as a rainbow theme and they were given a colour to do. And I just said, oh, just choose. There were like variations in the centre of the block of what they could do. And I said, oh, just choose whichever one you're happy with and comfortable with making. And somebody designed a different center and she designed a heart and it was just lovely. So, yeah, now I love that as well. I think that it's good that they have seen the pattern as a starting point and still feel free enough to make it their own.
0: That's great. Can you describe to me a little bit more about what is Quilt Hive?
1: Oh, yeah, sure. Quilt Hive is an online learning membership club. I think that's the best way to describe it. So, The aim of Quilt Hive is to teach a range of patchwork and quilting techniques. So members that join the club or the membership, if you like, they have access to all of the classes that I put in Quilt Hive whilst they're a member. We've currently got 17 classes in there, plus some other supporting content. We also have live Zoom sessions each month, which normally are for Q&A sessions but sometimes we have breakout rooms so they can get to know each other a little bit. And occasionally we have a guest designer come and speak. But I wanted to create a teaching hub that had a lovely supportive community. And it definitely has that, which is really lovely. But as I said, I also wanted to create a teaching hub that was teaching techniques and giving people confidence to achieve better results with their makes. So. Quite often you talk to quilters and they will show you something that they've made and then they'll say, oh, but it's not very good here or it's not very good there or whatever. And that's a shame on many levels. The fact that they're pointing out things that they're not happy with, but b that they perhaps aren't clear on how to get better results and they clearly want better results because they're saying the things that they're saying but they're not sure how to go about getting them. And I just want to help people get more satisfaction, really, with things that they're making. I am not the quilt police, and I will not judge people for doing things different ways or having a finish that perhaps other people might not be happy with. What I want is for them to be satisfied with what they've made, however they have made it. So that's kind of the drive behind it. So things that we have got in there are, let's see, cutting for accuracy, precision piecing, um, walking foot quilting, um, free motion quilting. So there's a a small kind of introduction course on that. There's foundation paper piecing. There is, I'm looking around, see if I can see any of the makes. (laughs) We've got modern cathedral windows. There's curved piecing. There's how to choose fabrics for a quilt. There's a whole lovely selection of different things that they can dip in and out of as they want to new content is added each month so they don't have to look at those old ones if they don't want to they can just join then go along with whatever the new content is that comes up yeah I think that probably describes it well (laughs)
0: that sounds like a great community
1: yeah anything else about your business The only thing that I think we haven't covered is that I also design cute little enamel sewing themed pins. So for people that are pin collectors, yeah, I do sewing themed ones, which are kind of nice. And greetings cards that are sewing themed. And that kind of came about when we very, at the very start of the pandemic lockdown, I kind of suddenly couldn't teach because I was teaching a few in-person classes back then. And, you know, everything was closed and it was like well, what am I gonna use this time for what had I wanted to do that I hadn't gotten around to doing and didn't have time to do and the enamel pins was on the list of something I had wanted to do but didn't know how I didn't know how to find a manufacturer you know I didn't know how to do that and so yeah I was able to use that time to research those areas and get those things made so that was good fun. Oh the- neat.
0: And I'm assuming those are on your website, so we can take a pick at them there.
1: Yeah, everything's on the website. So the website is www.thecraftynomad.co.uk. Great.
0: And are there other places to find your business?
1: Yeah, sure. So I'm on Instagram as at the Crafty Nomad Fleet. And that's because I used to be based in the town called Fleet when I was teaching. And I'm on Facebook as the Crafty Nomad. And if people want to go straight to the online sewing school they can access that from the main website but they can also get there directly by going to sewingschool.thecraftynomad.co.uk great thank you so much joe you're welcome thank you so much for having me (laughs) oh it's
0: great to have you i can't tell you how much i appreciate you taking your time and chatting with me today
1: oh thank you (laughs) Uh